0: Did you know that there's an epic story with Abram saving his nephew Lot in such a way that it encapsulates salvation history, prefigures the Eucharist, and gives greater context for the story of Sodom and Gomorrah?
1: Is it one of those chapters with a bunch of funny names and places that I usually skip skip over?
0: That's the one. Listen in to find out more. Welcome to A Word from Our Outpost
1: with Joseph and Crystal Gruber,
0: a podcast for captive disciples who are wrestling to be missionary-minded in their normal, everyday lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Direct, O Lord, our actions by Thy holy inspiration, and carry them on by Thy gracious assistance, that every word and work of ours may begin in Thee, and by Thee be happily ended. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: So, Joseph. So, Crystal. We decided we wanted to do a little Bible study for our podcast tonight. And you picked, I think, one of the most difficult to read chapters and then started telling me about it. And it turns out it's an epic battle with some pretty incredible stuff going on.
0: Yeah. Genesis 14, it's one of the chapters, I think, that gets skipped over um, about as often as the genealogies in Genesis 5 and Genesis 11.
1: So I'm not going to go all the way, but just to give a taste. It starts out. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elasar; Shedil-
0: Sh- Chedaloamer,
1: king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Gai- Goaim, these kings made war with... Bera, king of Sodom. Bersha, king of Gomorrah. Shinab, king of...
0: Some pronounce it Gomorrah, by the by.
1: Uh, Gomorrah. <laughs> king of... Oh, Adma, Adma. Shember, king of Zeboiim. And the king of Bela, that is Zoar. Those- Hilariously,
0: the king of Bela, that is Zoar, isn't named. Because, of course, everybody knows who that king is, right? <laughs>
1: And those are the first two, and it keeps going from there with all the names. Those are
0: the first two verses? Those
1: are the first two verses, and it's all kinds of words like that.
0: Um, it gets worse, actually, it before does, it gets better.
1: It does get worse. Should I summarize what's happening in all of these parts?
0: Yeah, let's let's have a quick summary. Because as far as a, a narrative goes, it's pretty fascinating.
1: Yeah, okay. Joseph, you showed me maps and
0: I pulled up a I I Googled Genesis fourteen and did an image search because some people have made maps of what happened. And that's uber helpful.
1: So basically there are these four pretty good sized kingdoms. I was gonna call them giant. They might not be giant, but, but they're substantial, maybe like the size of a state. Um and they banded together because one of them had some little cities often a thousand miles away that weren't
0: literally a thousand miles away
1: yeah that weren't paying up and so these four kings march with their armies to go to these little cities which is like way overkill this is a lot of military force marching a thousand miles to collect up from a couple little cities
0: and these little cities basically they they agreed to give a tribute every year to the king of elam and Elam is so far to the east; it's even farther east than the city of Ur, essentially. Um, so all the way on the other side of the Fertile Crescent. So the the Promised Land, Canaan, all that stuff. The Dead Sea is on one side of the Fertile Crescent in uh, the Middle East, and on the far side of the Fertile Crescent is the kingdom of Elam. And every year they're supposed to send tribute. And they do it for 12 years. And then on the 13th, they say, no more. We're done with you, king of Elam. cheddar Lomer, no more. And then the 14th year, he says, yes, more.
1: So he marches in to tell these rebels what's what. And on their way, they just... Just because. Just, just for funsies, they start, what's the word? The, subduing all the other cities along the way. So these five king, kings of these smaller places that were rebelling and not sending their monies, start, they know it's coming.
0: And they go out and fight. And how does that go for them?
1: Not well. They literally run to the hills, leaving, like, their women and children in the cities to be taken along with all their stuff. Yeah. So, like, they're scaredy-pants rebels that gave up the fight.
0: Yeah. And... And some of them get stuck in bitumen pits, which I think basically is like a tar pit.
1: It's a funny name. So... Now something that preceded all of this Is Abram and Lot Going their separate ways
0: Yeah so in chapter 13 Do you want to summarize that real quick
1: Yeah so in chapter 13 Abram and Lot realize that there's just They've got too much Stuff between the two of them And they need to go their separate ways And Abram Very generously lets Lot decide And Lot decides Which who's going where and Lot decides to go to the to the better-looking area.
0: Yeah, what does it say in chapter 13? Um, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well-watered everywhere, like the garden of the, of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. And so Lot chose the place that reminded him of paradise.
1: And so that happens to be Sodom and Gomorrah area.
0: Where, presumably, they were in mid-rebellion against the king of Elam.
1: Which, I, I mean, maybe a lot knew that and didn't care, maybe. But the fact of the matter is, he just showed up when they're mid-rebellion, and it's not like he was part of the rebelling actively.
0: But he decides to be with them.
1: He does. And so here he is, and it says in chapter 14... um. So this is after the kings of the bigger kingdoms from further away come and, like, take everything. Um, so the enemy took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods and departed. So Lot was not fighting with them.
0: Yeah. This is fascinating, right? He decides he wants to live amongst these people so it's like, you guys have a nice enough land that I want to be there for the sake of my cattle. But when trouble comes a-knocking, I will not get up and answer. I'm going to stay here and let you guys go out into the Valley of Sidim and and fight. And so it's this weird sort of quasi-solidarity, this weird sort of quasi-I'm with you, but I'm not willing to do anything for you. Um, I'm cool with the fact that you guys don't have to pay tribute but I'm not okay with having to defend our rights. Um, it's like s- somebody who would chant no taxation without representation, but then scatters as soon as a shot is fired. Yeah. So he's willing to join the, the rebellious people, not willing to actually fight. And that it's it's fascinating as a reflection upon the, the character of Lot, um, because on the one hand, uh, they're rebels. They're doing something that isn't good. On the other hand... Um, he chose to be with them. So it's a it's a difficult situation because you might say, well, he wouldn't want to participate in the rebellion. You know, rebellion isn't good. We think of rebellion as good because we all watched Star Wars A New Hope and we're like, that was the movie we loved where there was a rebellion against an empire. Uh, but rebellion isn't necessarily a good thing. And so by choosing to be in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah and Zoar and the other two cities whose names I forget, he's putting himself in a very difficult situation where the the right choice is not clear, <laughs> but but he chooses the ambiguous, he chooses the difficult, he chooses the place where he can derive all the benefits he wants to until the going gets rough.
1: And then it doesn't go so well for him.
0: He gets captured, he becomes yeah. a slave. He, yeah, is taken away. Um, I don't know if they're chained together or what, but he's taken away, you know, presumably bound up at least um, in terms of unable to escape.
1: But then one who had had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshal and of Aner, these were allies of Abram.
0: So this is fascinating. Lot goes off to the east and he settles amongst rebels but he doesn't really align with them Abram goes off to the west he settles by the oaks of Mamre and he makes an alliance with Mamre and his brothers he he says i i will fight for you and you will fight for me we will be together so it's a it's it's this really fascinating contrast about what kind of solidarity they're kind of they're they're going for that they're they're pursuing and Abram is choosing a kind of friendship that will endure through suffering mm. and Lot was choosing friendships that dissolve in the midst of suffering mm-hmm.
1: and yet when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive he led forth his trained men born in his house 318 of them and went in pursuit as far as Dan And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and routed them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the goods and also brought back his kinsmen with his goods and the women and the people. Bam. What up, Abram?
0: So he hears about his nephew and like, whatever, I got this. And he raises up, do you remember how many men?
1: 318.
0: Where are they from? His house. Yeah. And and this is, uh, when I read this chapter, I think, I rem- well, I remember reading it the first time thinking, well, that can't be. Abram was living in a tent with Sarai, and it was probably like them and like a servant or two and their nephew. And that's the image that I kept having is, oh, he's like a, a nomad who is just a very small encampment, very small number of people. No. When we talk about him camping in tents, we're talking about a whole campground. We're talking about like a campus, a whole like military, industrial, economic complex in which basically at the drop of a hat, he can raise up over 300 men who have been trained, who have lived in his house all of this time. There's a military might in Abram that I think, I don't know, I don't know why, but I never thought about him as a military figure until this chapter.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe because he's not shown as a military figure until this chapter or after, maybe.
0: Yeah, it doesn't really come up too much after, no.
1: And like, he's not just a guy that has some military strength around him. He's a guy who has like these 318 men that can kick the pants off of four giant armies that just went around beating up a whole bunch of other smaller armies that were probably bigger than 318 people.
0: Yeah, so uh, earlier in the chapter, it says that they passed through seven cities and subdued them. And then they got to the five cities and then just totally thrashed them. So these four armies went up against 12 different cities. And then here's Abram with his 318 men and his three buddies, Mamre, Eskel, and Anar.
1: And he brought back all the goods and lot with his goods and the women and the people.
0: Yep. That's Abram for you.
1: And the other thing is that's, that's the faithful father figure for you. That's the faithful man for you. That's the, the, the man believing in God the Father and, and having that, that power within him. That's the, the choosing God is the arbiter and not making that choice for himself.
0: Yeah, it's a solidarity that says, I will choose the relationship over the risk. And that's what Abram is showing. I I will risk myself in order to have this relationship. Whereas Lot said, I will not risk myself for these new relationships. I will not put myself on the line. I will not march with them. And yeah, it it is fascinating. It's, it's, It's a fatherly act. And this is one of the so intriguing things about this part of the story. So there's more to this chapter, but I think this is enough to talk about for a moment because this is maybe the clearest moment of um, the heart of the father being exposed um, in the, the story of Abram um, thus far, at least. I suppose the binding of Isaac shows a father's heart in a particular way, which we will not get to in this podcast just now. Put a tack in that to come back to later someday. Um, But the revelation of the father's heart, because Abram means great father. You know, it's one of the great ironies of uh, Genesis is that here is this man who is without child, whose name means great father. But we see it. We see that he chooses to be more like a father. And we come to understand what a father is like through the action of Abram. That when he sees his nephew, uh, when he sees, I mean, technically um, Lot is both his nephew and Sarai's nephew because they're half-siblings, Sarai and Abram. So when he sees his sister's um, uh, nephew and his nephew, he's bound to him, but he could let him go, right? He he has all the information he needs to act, but he doesn't have to do it. And this is something about a father, is that a father will choose to act. He doesn't have to. I'm just finishing up a book right now by John Miller called uh, Calling God Father, and it's quite excellent. It's a series of essays where he's exploring the topic of fatherhood uh, sort of sociologically as well as scripturally. And one of the points that I just thought was so mind-blowing is that mothers are mothers by nature. Like literally, natus means birth, uh, a mother can't really escape their child uh, until the child escapes the mother, and even then, the the child is totally dependent upon the mother for years. Mm-hmm. But the father has to choose to be with the son. The father has to choose to be with the daughter. The father has to choose to be involved to act in a way that it's just not quite as um, not quite as cut and dried as it is. Um, it, well, it's it's more cut and dried. For the father than it is for the mother. The mother, there's a lot of hormonal reasons, there are a lot of biological complications, there are a lot of social and cultural reasons for the mother to take care of the child. The father chooses in a way where they're not as bound, they're not as close. Um, the social pressures and cultural pressures just aren't as present. And so we see Abram responding, acting powerfully to save his nephew. And to see that it's the heart of the father for the for the relative who chooses to leave him, who chooses to side with rebels, and who chooses poorly even in siding with rebels. Like he's not even a full-throated rebel. um, He's a half-hearted rebel. And because of that choice, he becomes captive, enslaved, and carried away against his will. And to see that that is, that's the the status of fallen man. We choose a kind of solidarity that is half-hearted, that is self-serving, that is not willing to put ourselves at any great risk, and that ultimately, uh, whether we fight or not, uh, we will be bound and captive by powers greater than us, but not greater than God.
1: Mm -hmm. And Abram chooses God the Father, God Almighty, and then is able to choose to function in that that kind of In that power, I guess. Um, But but in that love also, like to to choose the thing that doesn't have to be chosen, that is a hard thing, is what love is, right? To choose the good of the other, even if it's not (laughs) what I want.
0: Yeah, to give a sense, he chose to take 318 trained men plus his allies and to go over 100 miles after his nephew to catch up with an army it's already been victorious over everyone else. Kings who have been the king of... They were the kings amongst kings. Um, one way that I've put it before, and I'll use it again. The, these four kings, they're they're a little bit like the governors of states who have just gone up against mayors of little towns. It's like if five towns in Michigan, like Battle Creek, Kalamazoo, uh, Grand Rapids, Holland, and Jackson, all decided hey, I know we owe money to Minnesota, but we're not going to pay. And Minnesota called upon Wisconsin and Illinois and Indiana and all four of them march in with all the strength of a state militia uh, against these towns. Like, Abram went up against that with his men.
1: Pretty incredible. And then what happens after that?
0: So this is the part that people know. But I think it's so essential to know that what comes next Fantastic. is in response to this enormous victory, this unprecedented kind of victory, that that as we're reading it, we should not have expected to have worked.
1: Yeah. So after his return from the defeat of Shetelomer and the kings who are with him, which that, right, like, it could have been that they, like, snuck in, got lot, and stunk out, but no, that he defeated these four kings. The king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything.
0: That's probably good for now. Yeah. So this is something we've heard before, I think, often enough in, uh, I think it is one of the readings in the Catholic lectionary, it gets referenced, the name of Melchizedek we hear in Psalms, we hear Melchizedek brought up in the book of Hebrews.
1: At ordinations.
0: At ordinations.
1: Still a priest in the line of Melchizedek.
0: Yeah, so there's... There's a church in town here where, right behind the altar, there are these uh, beautiful murals on the wall with the apostles. Uh, but right behind the altar, it isn't the apostles anymore. On the one side, there's Abraham carrying a knife. And on the other side, there is Melchizedek holding bread and wine. Um, like, this is one of the clearest instances that we see thus far in Genesis. Although there are hints in Genesis earlier of um, this kind of Thanksgiving offering of bread and wine offered by a king who is also a priest that is a blessing to the people that marks the victory over enormous odds that gives freedom and liberty and restoration to a number of people.
1: And also the king of Salem, which I've, I'm not mistaken, later becomes... Jerusalem.
0: Right, so Salem meaning peace, so he's literally the king of peace. Melchizedek meaning king of righteousness, so again, literally king of righteousness. And the city of Salem, which um, whenever the Israelites come in, it's occupied by the Jebusites. Um, Salem means peace, but eventually it will have a, a prefix, yeru, added to it. Meaning God will provide. So the city of Salem, where eventually God will provide his peace, is the location of the offering of bread and wine and blessing after this enormous victory. But it's in light of the victory that this sacrifice happens of bread and wine. And I, I think we don't understand like when when bread and wine is offered, we may not see that as sacrificial. But there are cereal offerings. There are offerings of bread and wine in the Old Testament. Um, we're used to thinking of the word sacrifice in terms of animal sacrifice. But there's also a, a really incredible tradition, too, of, of cereal offerings, grain offerings, um, all throughout uh, the Old Testament as well. Um, I don't want to go too far down this road, but I have this feeling... It's not very well worked out that one of the reasons why Cain's offering in Genesis 4 is not acceptable is because he's offering a grain offering, a cereal offering, which is a Thanksgiving offering. And Abel, his offering is accepted because it's a sin offering, an offering of animal. And I think that has something to do with it as well, mm-hmm. that there's this notion that bread and wine, this is a, this is a sign of, of thanksgiving, I I still need to work on that one more, but I I have this feeling like that's part of the current of the Old Testament that pops out so much more clearly in the New Testament, in the the Last Supper, in the institution of the Eucharist.
1: And so here we've got that prefiguring of the institution of the Eucharist, and we've got that Thanksgiving Eucharistic um, offering.
0: And this is so important. So right now, as we're speaking... No public Masses are being offered in the United States and in many places in the world because of a pandemic. And I think people miss the Eucharist, and I think people are are longing for the Mass for many different reasons. But I think sort of like how people will skip over three-quarters of Genesis 14 and focus on the ceremony at the end to understand that the whole Thanksgiving offering is the apex, is, is the end result of everything that happened before it in Genesis 14, that there was, there was a bad decision that led to captivity, that led to a rescue operation, that led to freedom, that led to this thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And I think when it's taken out of that context, we can forget what we're actually being thankful for. We're thankful to God for freedom from sin, for freedom from fear of death, for freedom to live in in the light of truth, for the freedom to not have to run away from the things that would otherwise hold us back, that we, we have a freedom to live that has been won for us because the fatherly heart of God the Father sent his Son to suffer and die the death of a rebel. Right? And I think we also forget that uh, the crucifixion that Jesus suffered was the punishment due to an insurrectionist, to a rebel, to someone who acted against the interests of the state of Rome. Just as this battle that takes place in Genesis 14 is the end result of a rebellion, just as in Genesis 3, they get kicked out of the garden because they rebelled. That that rebellion is at the heart of sin. And we have the freedom to not have to rebel, to not be in that weird sort of like, how do you live amongst other rebels? How do, you, how do you interact with them? How do you know what kind of loyalty is really there? How do you organize society when people are already conditioned to rebel, when people are already conditioned to say, I will follow my right and my wrong, not your right and your wrong? It's an unstable and therefore uncertain, un uncomfortable mm-hmm. place to be. And part of the Thanksgiving offering is to say, I know how I can live rightly with my neighbor Mm -hmm. because God loved me so much that he rescued me. And to rediscover where Melchizedek comes into the story and how powerful it is, you know, how powerful it is for Abram to say, yeah, I I rescued these people. I had this great success. My heart, my, my body, my powers are not great enough to offer up the thanksgiving that is truly due to God. I need to go to someone else to help me to make a fitting offering of thanksgiving to God because my thanksgiving actually explodes beyond me into a larger community, a community bound by gratitude, a community that's bound by a spirit of thanksgiving that can truly offer something to God that makes sense based on everything that's happened before it.
1: And he continues to be totally reliant on God after this in a way that's pretty astounding.
0: Yeah, Do you want to read this?
1: Yeah. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God Most High, maker of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me let Aner at Shawl and Mamory take their share. So he could have walked away with all the riches that he rescued. Like 12 cities worth, probably. I mean...
0: If he did a good job looting the camps, yeah.
1: And I suppose they might not have been able to carry that much, but whatever they were able to carry. And he could have had as much of it as he wanted, and he didn't take any of it because he wanted... To, to rest in that thanksgiving and glory in in God the Father.
0: Yeah, there's also this sense that he didn't want tainted goods, mm-hmm. right? He didn't, you know, they they were re- rebels. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to benefit from these people who were in this weird sort of arrangement where they were bound in service to another kingdom, but they didn't even want to be bound in that service to that kingdom. They're just a confusing mess. And he's like, I, I don't need that. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't need what you have. More than that, you can have it. You can have everything. Well, he does take 10% and give to Melchizedek from yeah. from that. So that's a fascinating thing, revealing the heart of Abram. Like he he's not in it for the money.
1: He really just wanted to get Lot back. And it's not like they even keep hanging out after that. Like he just just saves them. Saves them, lets them go back.
0: Let's him go wherever he wants to, mm-hmm. right? And this is the thing: like in chapter thirteen, when their herdsmen start battling with each other, um, they they could have just sold a bunch of their animals and lived in harmony. They, 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 there were other solutions, um, but Lot was not willing to do that, and Lot still would rather have his independence. And so, this is this is a fascinating thing: Sodom, Gomorrah, Zoar, the other two cities were also saved right the salvific work of abram did not just save lot and restore to lot his fortune mm-hmm. his work also saved all of these cities and restored them everything and here's the troubling thing right they were saved but how did they receive that salvation right and this is this is like an examination of conscience for me maybe it would be an examination of conscience for others as well they're saved But they're not all that grateful. Mm -hmm. They're saved, and it doesn't seem to make much difference. And I get it, right? Like, they went out to fight. They started losing, and they run away to the hills. They lose their women, their children, their infirm, their goods, everything. And all of those people are taken away from them. And then all of these people come back knowing that their men ran away rather than save them. That their men didn't have what it took to run after them.
1: Or to protect them. Or to
0: protect them in the first place. And so they have to live with the fact that they weren't enough.
1: That's embarrassing.
0: Right. They have to live with the fact that they were too limited to free themselves, to save themselves. They couldn't actually follow through in the rebellion. They couldn't actually be everything that they wanted to be when they started to choose for themselves in this kind of weird sort of like, Messy kind of way that they chose. So I get it. I would be embarrassed too, I think. But I think this also gives a lot of context for um, about five chapters from now when the two angels come and visit Sodom and see how things are going. Because it's not like the city of Sodom hadn't been saved already, it was saved in chapter 14. Mm. Sodom, Gomorrah, the other cities, all of them actually exist. In a state of having been saved by Abram already. When Abram when Abraham has a conversation with God about, hey, what if there are fifty good men there? How about forty? How about thirty-five? All of that. He's talking about a city he has already saved himself. And so this is the fascinating thing to me because they have a choice, having been saved, about how they'll receive it. They can they can remain embarrassed, they can They can become ungrateful. They can turn their hearts away from outsiders, harden their hearts towards strangers, and say, we're never going to be taken advantage of again. Nobody's going to get the drop on us again. We are going to be the ones in control all of the time. We are never not going to be in control. Everyone who comes through here will feel our control. So they could choose that, but they could also have chosen... So they did choose that. Spoiler alert. I know that's a few chapters away, but spoiler alert. They choose the ungrateful path. But they could have chosen gratitude. Mm -hmm. Melchizedek gave them a form for gratitude, a liturgical expression for for remembering all that good that has been done for them. Mm -hmm. And they could have received that goodness and commemorated it. Like the Passover, it's literally a feast celebrating the fact that the Israelites were not powerful enough to break out of captivity from Egypt. It's literally a celebration that they were too weak to free themselves. It's literally an expression of, we did not have this. We had to be totally reliant on somebody other than us. They could have taken that as very embarrassing. They could have taken that as very like, oh, that's emasculating. Um, but instead, they say, no, this will be like one of our pivotal feasts of thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. The people of Sodom, the people of Gomorrah could have done the same. They could have said, oh, what Melchizedek did, we want to be like him. We want to remember this. Every year, we want to remember when Abram and Mamre and Aner and eshkol and the 318 other guys swooped in and saved the day. And we want to celebrate, but they, they don't. Mm-hmm. And that's the fascinating thing, right? Like, when whenever Mass becomes reinstated, will we go back to Mass in a spirit of thanksgiving? Will we say, we can't actually save ourselves, and we're okay with that. We're okay with having a Savior and acknowledging him and remembering him and, and coming back to him and honoring him for what he has done. Uh, not only the maker of heaven and earth, as Melchizedek names him, but the God who blesses and the God who frees and the God, God who saves, or will we not be grateful? Mm -hmm. Will we not turn to, to Thanksgiving? And can we, can we still be thankful even now for, for what God has done for us in the past? Mm -hmm. That was a lot. And it sounded like you had something you wanted to say a couple of times.
1: Well, one of the things that was just coming to my mind with the last part was entitlement, right? Like I think, um, what am I personally prone to if it's not Thanksgiving, it's entitlement, and this sort of I mean I don't know, but it seems like there's with Sodom and Gomorrah this like well these this this is our stuff, right like this is why we stop paying tribute, this is why we're rebelling, and this is why, um maybe they aren't thankful because they're just getting their own stuff back <laughs> and um realizing that that I sometimes feel like, well, of course I should have access to Mass when I want it. Um, and, and that's not actually, I'm not actually entitled to that.
0: Well, no, they want to pay for their salvation. Yeah. Right? They're like, keep our stuff, we'll keep our people. Yeah. And Abram's like, no, I'm not going to keep the stuff, you keep it. And that's mm. fascinating. So we both uh, recently read Kristen Laverne's Daughter. And one of the characters in there, he's, he, he finds it easy to forgive people who have trespassed against him, he finds it hard to forgive people that he owes something to. Mm-hmm. There, So this character for a while is the hero and he saves a couple of people and he's really gallant and, and charm, well, magnanimous. He's mm-hmm. very magnanimous towards them. Yeah. And he's quick to forgive them. But then th- the table turns on him and they start saving him and he doesn't know how to live having been saved by these people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He'd rather have people owe him than have him owe other people. Mhm. And I think that's something of what's going on with the king of Sodom when he says, "Please take our goods."
1: Yeah. He doesn't want to be indebted.
0: Right. Mhm. And yet we and,
1: just are.
0: And the only really adequate payment back is thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. That's it. We've been given ourselves back throughout this course of salvation history. Like, that's that's the goal, is to have us not only be back, but better, to be given a new way to live, a new way to be in community, and more than that, to become like Christ. Um, and this is something, too, with a Lot. He wasn't Abram's son. He was Abram's nephew. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't choose to become more son-like after this. No, he 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 just remains a nephew. Um, and that's a fascinating thing too. But yeah, more largely, like the the gift of salvation is it's real, but part of what makes it really real is Thanksgiving.
1: Mm-hmm. That's part of what makes us step into it and make it our own is when we say thank you.
0: And so that's that's something that happens in the purest form at Mass, in the offering of Jesus back to the Father, where he takes our humanity and makes our humanity a gift. And we, in our humanity, when we are united to Christ, we become part of that Thanksgiving offering to the Father. But we can foster that sense of gratitude every day, any day. Um, And part of that gratitude is to live more purely, more more Mm. fully, Mm -hmm. and more... More for others.
1: hmm Yeah. I like Amorahim does. Abraham yeah. Does.
0: And like how Sodom and Gomorrah end up not.
1: And how Lot doesn't.
0: Not so much. Lot is a funny, funny guy. He, I, he's not, you know how they ask the question, Could if you could have dinner with anybody, who would it be? It would never be Lot. <laughs> I just, he he just seems weird to me. It's like, I, I, I under, it. And what I'm afraid is that part of it is like, oh, I, it's because he's he's too much like me. Mm. Um, I'd rather, probably rather have dinner with Abram or Abraham. Abram and Abraham are the same person by the by. At this point in the story, he's still Abram. It's not for a couple of more chapters that he becomes it's Abraham. Um, so if people have been confused about us going back and forth, I've been trying to keep the correct form of the name for the point in the story that we're talking about. And when we talk about other parts of the story, I try to change the name. I certainly did not do it perfectly.
1: I didn't really try. Oh. (laughs)
0: Here we are. But
1: I feel like we could keep unpacking and going to different places.
0: All this to say, Scripture is wonderful. There's a, a comment about how it's as... It's shallow enough for a lamb to wade and deep enough for an elephant to bathe. And to note, like, with with this chapter, most people would just breeze by it if they're, like, trying to read through the whole Bible in a year or something like that. But these are worth taking time to think about. I also meant to talk about a quote earlier, um, but I want to bring it up now because we're wrapping up. If any of you have ever seen the movie The Emperor's Club, it's about uh, Mr. Huntert who's the uh teacher of a at a boys boarding school. He's teaching the classics essentially to these boys. And every year he has someone in the classroom read a plaque above the door. And the plaque reads I am Shutruk-Nahunte, king of Anshan and Susa, sovereign of the land of Elam. I destroyed Sipar took the stele of Niran Sin and brought it back to Elam, where I erected it as an offering to my god in Shushanak, Shutruk-Nuhunte, 1158 BC. And then he launches into an explanation about how we have no idea who Shutruk-Nuhunte is as a culture, because he didn't make any cultural contributions. And to note, uh, we know about chedor Loomer, king of Elam, who was king of Elam several hundred years before Shutruk-Nuhunte, because he figured into the history of salvation. And this chapter has endured thousands of years. Nobody cut out chapter 14 or half of chapter 14 because they said this is irrelevant or nonsensical, um, because it's deeply meaningful, because these people, these kings, uh, they got wrapped into the story of Abraham. Um, And I, I find that incredibly significant to know that when... When someone who is walking with God enters into other people's stories, their stories become all the more significant. Shudrach-Nuhunte, 1158 BC, not all that significant now. Chedorloamer, because he got defeated by Abram, we're going to remember him because Thanksgiving flowed from that. Mm -hmm. And I just find that ah, awesome, just really incredible to reflect upon. And I know like... If I want my life to have any meaning, will I allow this descendant of Abram, this son of the great father, this Hebrew, Jesus, to walk into my life and to defeat whatever is cheddar loamering in my life, <laughs> and will I allow Thanksgiving to flow from that? Mm-hmm. So, on that note, on that note, would you like to close us in prayer?
1: I will, oh. and if there's anybody that has thanksgiving for us doing this podcasting gig you can leave us reviews and stars and the likes (laughs) and in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen. amen heavenly father thank you for your saving power thank you for your son thank you for allowing him to humble himself and come to us in the eucharist help our hearts to be ever more grateful ever more humbled ever more pure and to remember to have so much gratitude for what we are able to receive, and when we are able to receive your Son again. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen.
0: Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So take my hand, let's be.
1: From our outpost to yours Thanks for listening And a special thanks to John Mark Scope
0: That's S-K-O-C-H
1: For the music
0: Check him out on Spotify